This is Daniel Fagella, Head of Research at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. On this show, over the course of the last six or seven years, hard to think about just how many episodes we've had during that period, but uh, we've covered a great many individual AI use cases, and I know a lot of you listeners are interested in use cases. You want to know what's happening in logistics and banking and life sciences, and how can it apply to my industry? How can I take those opportunities and translate them to my business? And we're going to cover a lot more use cases this year as well, so you're in luck if that's what you're looking for. In this episode, we're going to be talking at a bit of a meta level about what AI-enabled work looks and feels like from the perspective of someone who's already involved in a work process. We've talked about so many individual work processes, but at a high level, what does it look like when we used to be working with numbers and trying to make projections and looking at retroactive dashboards, and now we get to look forward? What does it look like when we're an end user who's consuming those business insights? And we used to be kind of running on intuition, but now we're leveraging AI and data to be able to make more informed decisions and be more effective with our time. At a meta level, how does that translate to different roles within our organization? This is an interesting slice, an interesting take that we haven't had before, but that's exactly what we cover in this episode. Our guest is none other than Per Nyberg, who is the Chief Commercial Officer for Strategy AI. Per was on our program not that long ago, speaking to us about the process of getting started with AI, picking first projects and important principles for getting started in a way that's most likely to deliver results. And this episode is a natural extension of that. Once we do get started, what are the kinds of changes we should be able to see and expect if we do things well in the experience of our actual employees? How are their lives going to change? How's their productivity going to change? How are our workflows going to change? This should be something that can open up imagination no matter what kind of workflow or industry you are operating in, uh, hopefully this will be an interesting pair of goggles to see kind of a before and after picture within your own organization. This episode is sponsored by Strategy AI. If you're interested in reaching the Emerge audience, whether through thought leadership, email, podcasts, or more, you can go to emerj.com slash ad1. That's ad like advertise, emerj.com slash ad1 and learn more about Emerge Creative Services and how you can put yourself at the center of the AI community along with the other great guests that you hear right here on the AI and Business Podcast. Without further ado, this is an interesting and exciting episode, and I hope you enjoy it. This is Per Nyberg with Strategy AI here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Per, I'm glad to have you back with us. And we're talking today about sort of an approach to thinking about AI that actually is a little bit different than we've covered on previous episodes, which is to say, what is a day in the life like of someone who's able to be AI enabled in their job? This is important. People need to know what it's going to feel like, what change is going to look like and understand that. Before we get into the specifics, I'd love to get a sense of what a business user is to you. I know you think about two main kind of types of business users. Maybe you could articulate that. Yeah, sure. So it's a good question, a good starting point as well. And well, first of all, there's a lot of discussion around sort of, you know, where, you know, the business analyst of the future is what they're going to look like, right? Even from an educational perspective. But but really we think about someone who is a, a subject matter expert. Again, it could be someone who's in uh, it could be a marketing analyst, let's say, it could be someone who's in supply chain, logistics, so just just think sort of business function, subject matter expert. And then someone who you know works with data on on a daily basis, right? I mean, they they use typically data already to make decisions. That that's kind of your your prototypical sort of uh, of that that persona, if you will, who's someone who's ready to use you know predictive capabilities. Got it. And there's sort of the people who are 
don't know what the equivalent is without AI, but the model builder and then the insight consumer. When we think about what, what the model builder is doing kind of maybe in the days before AI, are these the folks that are pulling in all the stuff into the spreadsheet? They're uh, trying to pipe together some APIs to see what kind of stuff they can gather. What, what are they having to do? You know, if they don't have models, but they're trying to do what models do, what activities are they doing? Because I think probably when, when you articulate it, it'll ring a bell with some of the, the listeners here. But, but what, what are these folks up to day to day? Yeah. So, so today, I mean, so, so on that would be, you know, someone who works with, you know, preparing data. So just think about someone today who is creating pivot tables, if you will, in yep. Excel, right? That'd be sort of a, you know, power BI. That, that would be kind of a, a classic, you know, typical situation today. And, and so those individuals are essentially just, you know, creating the, 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 the call it the mathematical models to some degree, the, you know, looking at the relationships in the data so that once the data is input or processed, a company can gain insights from it. So, so they're already starting to think about relationships. They're starting to think about data quality. They're starting to think about, you know, what data might be missing, quite frankly, and, and what can be reasonably extracted from what they have. So those kind of basic valuations that, that those individuals do today, that there's a, actually a lot of parallels when you start thinking about you know, maybe how this could be applied with machine learning. Yeah, what the next level of that is. And I think for the insight consumer side of things, it's almost all of us can imagine that. You know, Even if we're not the people building and putting together the data, almost all of us have seen a report or had to use some kind of information on a dashboard or you know, a printout or whatever it is to make our business decision, take a next action about this project or, or take a next action in our role. So I guess we can, we can talk a little bit about the transformation. If we talk about the folks who are kind of on the model builder side, already they're wrestling with some of the things that are important for AI too. They're wondering, where do I get my data? They're thinking about the kind of value and the kind of features and elements of that data that are going to actually help their team members and, and help themselves. Maybe we can talk a bit about how what they do changes when AI is a bigger part of the mix kind of the before and after. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And, and so, so I guess there's a couple of aspects. So, so you also mentioned insight consumer, and maybe just to start there, I'll kind of- Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, great, great. And, and, and so, so the insight consumer, that, that's actually a lot of different people are consumers of this, oh, yeah. right? I mean, that's everything from, it could be sort of a functional lead all the way up to you know, as the C-level, if you wish, right? Everybody's just looking to be able to you know, quantify uncertainty, for example, uh, and that's sort of the classic meetings everyone's been in is like, how sure are you of this data? And so, so th those are some of the, the drivers we all experience uh, on a day-to-day -day basis as we run our businesses, right? And, and so the people who are, are looking at the data to kind of create, you know, the, the insights to be consumed by the business, they're already, again, asking a lot of these questions, right? So the, the kind of the, the model builders, I mean, kind of what changes here is, I mean, obviously tools are getting a little bit more sophisticated. Uh, model building in AI used to be, well, you, you literally needed a PhD and you had to go build it from scratch with super specialized resources. So I think that's one of the things that's changed tremendously is that tools are now, you know, within reach of, you know, an individual who is not a technical expert. These no-code platforms such as ours where you can, you know, without that expertise, actually go build a model. And, and you are, in fact, asking the same questions, right? You're asking about the data, the quality of the data, the features. So a lot of those things come into play here with an AutoML type platform to create that model. So, yeah, similar 
similar questions being asked, I guess just more that we can do with it. And hopefully with a little bit of an understanding of machine learning and, and probably some coaching either from the vendor, from a consultant, from an in-house data science team, a little bit of an unlock of what more can I do, right? People who've been thinking through purely an Excel lens might just not know that, well, now that we can do this, here's a new set of things that we can do. Yeah, exactly. It's a new set of things we can do. But, but I think also what happens is it's a new way of thinking about your data because all of a sudden it's predictive. So now it's telling you something in the future, right? And, and, and so that is a, a new aspect. It's a new skill, a new muscle, if you will, that's built by these individuals to look at this data and understand what it was providing you. Much the same way that's happened in the past with new technologies. It's just it, it might be new capabilities, but it's also a new way of working as well. So when you get asked those questions like how sure are you of this data, you now have new tools and new approaches to be able to answer that question. So that, that's one of the things that changes, again, in the day and the life. Got it, got it. And it might be useful to talk about kind of the before and after about the inside consumer as well. But just speaking about this model building person, clearly having access to new tools is helpful. There is, you know, a paradigm shift to think about, you know, our data in this new predictive way or, or just using ML in general. And there's all kinds of things we can do with data that you just couldn't do with pivot tables clustering. I mean, Lord knows there's, there's so many various and sundry applications. What does it take to level up that model builder from, you know, already, they're already on a, a great page. You know, they're thinking about the kind of data that's important. Think about access. They're thinking about how clean this stuff is, how reliable this stuff is, asking good questions. What's it take to get that person with that skill set into a place where they can start asking the next level questions? They can start prompting the next level of insights to, to even better guide their teams, even better guide themselves. What's it take to, to level up I guess their their skills and abilities to become kind of a 2.0 model builder here uh, with with AI in hand. Yeah, so so in some ways the skills and abilities again it varies a little bit, but but what we found is a lot of those skills and abilities are there, right? Again, as long as you you know the the, the platform has that kind of uh, auto ML capability. So let, let's put aside the kind of machine learning skills, if you will. Yeah, I think to some degree what we see more is around time and experience. Right. It's the ability to now look at a new set of results and it could be things like, you know, sort of uh, global feature impact or interpretability of the data. And it's that time and experience to understand what the models are telling you. Right. And, and it, you know, it, it could not be exactly what you think it should be. Yeah. And this is where the subject matter expertise comes in and all those years of experience. Like, no, I don't think this is right. And then you kind of iterate. So it's time, experience, and that iteration with the models till you have the confidence to really then be able to kind of deploy them out into the decision-making, if you will. And, and I think that you know, those, those are absolutely skills with, which I think some are existing today. Some will come with time and experience, but it is really being able to understand and be comfortable with your data. My guess is what would motivate this model builder person who, again, might today be using kind of older school tools to level up to, to start adopting AI is that they, they would only want to level those skills up if they know that the insights that come out the back end are tangibly and in, in a much higher level able to steer the business, able to make an impact in, in a better way. And there's so many examples of that. So maybe when we think about the experience of this insight consumer, we could think about what were they consuming before and what are they consuming now? And how is that better or different? And there's so many examples. You might have a couple. The things that come to my mind immediately, and I'm sure you'll have better ones, are you know maybe before we used to be able to have a real-time dashboard of, of what inventory 
was already sold or close to real time. You know, we, we could see what, what was being sold when and sort of how quickly different things were being sold. And maybe we, we, if we can level that up to a model where we get a sense of what is to be sold based on the factors that seem most important, and that ends up being actually quite accurate, then maybe we can be out of stock a fewer times with our customers and, and maybe stop over-ordering things where we're just being safe, but it's, it's really kind of not a good use of our, of our money. So that, that's one of many ways where maybe retroactive versus next level of uh, you know, insight consumption can help with business value. What are the representative examples you like to talk about, the ways that you talk about the before and after on insights that make it click for people? Yeah, so 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 I think there's some some sort of general things you can look at which kind of cross use cases, and one is certainly you touch on is like frequency, right? So a lot of organizations they might only be able to do demand forecasting once a week. Now all of a sudden, because they you know a machine learning approach can can process more data in more auto, uh, in a more automated way, maybe it's once a day, right? So frequency is one. I'd say completeness is another dimension as well. And it's, again, we've had cases where it was a, a supermarket chain and you know they wanted to do demand prediction on, on different products. And they were only able to process a small number of products and a small number of stores. They really wanted to do all the stores and more products. So that's that, that notion of completeness, right? So they can actually do a, solve a larger problem, let's say, and then I think the third one is kind of time scale moving forward, right? So in some cases you're doing, again, I'll use the demand prediction one because it's a, it's a nice one where, you know, they were only really able to more accurately predict demand, let's say two months in advance. And now they can do it, let's say eight months in advance, right? So, so it's all those dimensions would really change how they look and work with their data. And again, it varies from company to company. But those are kind of the different dimensions that you can think of. The last one is, of course, accuracy. So you put all of these things together and, you know, you're also hoping to be able to do more complete predictions further into the future with greater accuracy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think maybe a lens of thinking for the listener could be, you know, what are the areas where doing just that, more predictions, uh, more complete predictions, uh, farther ahead with greater accuracy, what insight processes now maybe could use a level up in that regard? It's almost like a lens of thinking about AI opportunities. Where where could we use any of those four? Where would those make a big impact for the business? Then uh, kind of our model builders and our insight consumers would both have the motivation to say, let's get this done. It, it, exactly. And, and look, I mean, the reality is that to be very practical about things, uh, a lot of companies just start with, okay, let's pick one dimension. We, we've identified our, our business case. Yep. Let's just let's just address one, right? Get started, build that muscle and skill, as I was talking about earlier on, and understand what we're seeing and then add another dimension. Yep. 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 And, and that's typically what you see. And again, it's different for every company, but it's that kind of very stepwise practical approach where you are iteratively moving things forward. Yeah. And, and I guess we can talk a little bit about, you know, best practices for moving things forward. Companies that change the day in the life of the business user, it doesn't happen radically overnight. It's not, you know, today we're, we're all using Excel and then tomorrow, you know, it's, it's ML everything. You know, today we can only get retroactive data once every two weeks. And then, you know, tomorrow it's, it, you know, it's, it's an iterative process. It grows, it expands. And there's, there's some things that companies who make that evolution do well and, and, and things that companies that kind of miss the boat might not do well. I know off microphone, you would talk a little bit about really the habits here and the new ways of thinking and working around data. Uh, for you, if there was advice for being able to change culture, to embrace this stuff, unlock the value of this stuff, 
in that context of habit around around our data and processes, what for you is important there? What what lessons do people need to know? Yeah, so we like to think about this as, as sort of that that annuity, right? You start on day one, and then day two, day three, and you're, you're just iterating, iteratively getting better and better and more. I would say comfortable, right? Which is a bit of an emotional word, but that yeah, 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 do it right. People tend to think often about machine learning, and it's like, okay, the answer is forty-seven. Well, maybe I don't know. It's not, but it's not the today's answer that's the point. It's the fact that it's forty-seven is a little bit better than the answer you got yesterday. And over time, as you get more comfortable, you add these dimensions, as I talked about. You know, over time, it builds and builds and builds, and and looking at the data in different perspectives becomes that habit, right? And, and organizations that are data driven really have that habit to be asking, use well, number one, using data in in every decision that they can. The other interesting habit that forms with companies is that they become they have the opportunity to become a little bit more hypothesis driven. Right, and that's one of the interesting things here as well is that you know you, you kind of talk in marketing about A/B testing, which is obviously a tried and true approach. You could do A/B testing with supply chain, right? And, and that is something that these powerful technologies also allow you to do. So it's not only about using the data; it's not only about quantifying uncertainty. It's also about evaluating options. And again, like. Like I said, becoming hypothesis driven in your business, and, and that's where it really gets interesting, right? And, and so back to that question of like, how sure are you of this answer? Well, you know, we ran these different scenarios, and I'm eighty percent sure about scenario A. Scenario B is this. Scenario C is that. That is a much more powerful response than just you know the one scenario, right? And that that I think is really where most companies want to get to. Yeah, there's so many ways to think about yeah, the hypothesis driven. It's almost another lens for finding AI opportunities is where would we love to test approaches? Where would we love to figure out what's working better? Where could we where could we use that as a pair of goggles to improve our opportunities? Part of the data and the way of thinking about and working with data has to do with culture. And we when we talk to man so many vendors, so many enterprises. I was just on the horn directly before you with a high up fella in innovation at at a Aetna, I don't know, they're the fourth biggest U.S. company or something like that by revenue. It's really hard to, to sometimes operate. This fellow is pretty excited about AI, uh, interested in moving forward with things, but not everybody around him understands what this stuff can do. And the paradigm shift of what can we unlock? How can we take a hypothesis-driven approach? How can we have a paradigm shift in seeing the future of our supply chain, not just the past? That requires sometimes the folks around us to kind of be able to be on the same page, stakeholders. Uh, subject matter experts, etc. When it comes to encouraging that upgrade, that these habits you're talking about, when it comes to encouraging them and expanding them and making sure we provide an ecosystem where they can be supported, these habits can be supported and not uh, kind of kicked down. What does that involve when you see it done well? Because I'd love for people to imbibe these habits, but I know they're going to need to to have a bit of a cultural shift sometimes. Yeah, and so so you're spot on. And look, I, I think if you look back over the last few years culture has been one of the top obstacles to corporate adoption of AI. I mean, I remember it was probably a year and a half ago, two years ago now, where I host a roundtable of CEOs that were in the infrastructure space. And I was pleasantly amazed at how well-versed they were with AI. And But then I was also a little bit surprised that they all pointed out that kind of culture was the biggest issue that they had internally. And it, for, for me, it was a bit of an eye-opener. 
And, you know, often you tend to work with the champions. So they're already, exactly. they're already, they're already excited. Yep. They're super excited. They're convinced, but it's the everybody else, right? So look, I, I think, again, it varies from company to company, but, but having certainly executive buy-in is, is critical. I think these things are difficult to do solely bottom up. So often the most successful companies do have an executive sponsor. They typically have an executive who, whose role isn't necessarily specifically in this area, but, but certainly around you know, driving this sort of data-driven culture. And I think that it just takes a bit of time, right? And sometimes a lot of time. There was another interesting statistic. It was a month or so back. This was in the financial services space, which has you know, very high adoption, relatively speaking, of AI. And they'd surveyed, and it was, it was something like only about a third of managers said they actually use data in, in large decisions on a day-to-day basis. And I was very surprised by that. But I think it shows that that you get to it. Maybe it speaks to sort of the, the size or scope or magnitude of the decision, right? I'm not really sure. That could have a role there. As people do get more used to using data, they get used to reporting on data, they get used to quantifying uncertainty. And the reality is the workforces that are coming in are, they're born digital. And they're the courses that they're having, will, this is part of what they're doing. It is going to take a little bit of time, but it's no one thing, right? But I, I think the companies that have a sort of a very grand vision and often fail at that grand vision, that's unfortunate because it's often used as ammunition as the why not embark on this, right? Yeah. So again, it speaks to starting small, get some small wins and build and build and build. Yeah. And so we're kind of leaning into our last question here around, you know, getting started and some practical advice for doing so. It does seem pretty clear. We've heard a lot of language from a lot of different folks that those small wins just matter a lot. You know, there's there's no way to just kick off a major initiative with that many stakeholders and and that many folks that might not understand the technology or be as excited about it. A couple of things you touched on here just for the listeners. And if you want to correct anything here, Pear, let me know. But one of them is you know, getting that, that higher level support is critical. Somebody who's, who's going to care about this area of business is going to care about that paradigm shift and see the strategic relevance of that as opposed to some kind of a push button change. You know, can we get buy-in at that level? And then also, can we find the right areas where we can get some wins so that the people around us can all high five? We can look at our other leaders and we can say, hey, look at what we've done. And we can get a little bit more the way we find pair. And I'd love to know if your experience is different. But the lifting of AI fluency, stakeholders, data scientists, um, business people happens when we release funds and we work well together enough to at least see some promise, if not some actual return. It's, it's only then when we get educated. We, we can't really count on the C-suite and the other folks to be, uh, I don't know, studying how this stuff operates in the enterprise all day. They're going to learn when dollars are deployed and they get they get the opportunity. That's We see fluency lifted when dollars are allocated and, and treated properly. Is that your experience as well? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that word fluency. I, I, I think it's spot on, right? I, I think it's like you're saying, it's kind of that, that top-down approach and, and the bottoms-up approach as well. The bottoms-up and I want to sort of emphasize that one because I kind of emphasized a little bit of the bottom down before, but the bottoms up is critical because they're the ones who are doing this on a daily basis. They, they know the realities of you know their data and what have you and things on the ground. So, so I think that they bring a very kind of a realistic approach of where the wins are and, and where the wins matter as well, right? So, but it is absolutely both. And, and I think in, in terms of just getting started, I mean, it, it's like we always advise, it's like think of, what data sources do you already use daily, right? And for a lot of people, they're right in front of them. They're literally right in front of them. 
And then think of the business problems that you have that you know could benefit or where you might be struggling. Uh, you know, again, going back to our various dimensions, right? I want to go from 12 stores to 47 stores in my prediction, right? That's that's a business problem that you have, right? So start with something very tangible like that. Look at the data sources that you have required. Think about how you work every day as well, right? So if if Excel is your, you know, the language that you speak uh, on a day-to-day basis, you know, that needs to be taken into consideration as well. And I think success is going to be when you consider all of those. And again, including how you're going to consume these insights, because if that is dramatically different than what you're doing every single day, there is going to be resistance. So, so you got to take all of these things into, into, into consideration. Yeah. I, I like, I like some of these tangible points is it's almost like a checklist for, we've talked about how to discover some AI opportunities. Now we're talking a bit about how to prioritize them. Those, those are critical skills. I mean, when we think about, we call them kind of catalyst skills, the non-technical AI-related skills that are still critical for, for success. Among the highest are, can we find the pockets where we could get value? And then can we prioritize these things to figure out what the heck to work on? It's almost taken like, oh, well, that's self-evident. It's absolutely not. But you, and you're building on a couple of these ideas right now. So you're, you're saying, what are the data sources? You know, What are the business processes? How can we marry them? That's kind of opportunity. But, but maybe if we could filter them by which of these could deliver some value without radically altering the workflow of that end user and that insight consumer, where we could just kind of put it in front of them, layer it in front of them, not radically change it, but improve it on the backside, it's, it's much more likely that that first one would be closer to low-hanging fruit in terms of a win. So it's, it almost sounds like you, you advocate minimizing workflow change is something we sometimes hear. Do you think that's more important for the consumer side to minimize workflow because there's more of them and we don't want to mess up their flow? Or do we also want to minimize workflow change on the back end? But where is it important to think about kind of playing easy mode here to get our first wins? Uh, good question. Uh, look, I, I think it's, it's on the kind of consumer insight side of things. If you can show those quick wins, and, and in some cases, you don't have to necessarily do the model building internally. Seek help when required, right? And there are people who have, you know, a lot of these use cases now have, there's tons of, of proven examples, right? So sometimes it takes, just demonstrate a win with what you've got and then step, go to the next step and maybe look at doing the model building on your own, right? So, so it really does vary. And, and, but this is also goes back to the culture. People understand what it takes to get a win inside their organization. So that does need to be considered. It's not a simple formula that everybody that everybody uses, but, but I think at the end of the day, every business is run on results. Everybody wants to see a result. And so you got to keep your eye on that and then adjust or, or, or design your approach accordingly. Yeah. So kind of nutshelling here on some level, in order to see this before and after transformation of, of these business users, you know, the, the model builders, the insight consumers, to, to get them all leveled up in terms of what we can do, what we can see, what we can predict, uh, how we can enable our own results. We've got to pick a place to get started. We've talked a bunch about some of the ways of thinking about that. Hopefully for the listeners, these have been a good pair of goggles for you to spot some opportunities internally. It sounds like some key advice here, in addition to getting that, that stakeholder support, is you know, think about those opportunities where you know, the end user's experience actually won't be that radically changed, but it, it will be improved in a way that's tangible and that that could be a great place to kick things off when it comes to this AI transformation. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Nice. Excellent. Well, Pear, uh, always a pleasure to have you with us. I know where we're at on time, but thanks again for being able to join us on the show. Much appreciated. Thank you.
that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A big thank you to Pear for joining us, and thank you to you for listening all the way through to the end of this episode. I think that this perspective on our model builders and our inside consumers is an interesting before and after that, again, we can use to, to look as a lens in any business process. I think if you're examining individual places where decisions are being made or people are using data to make decisions, this could be a cool before and after and, and often potentially used as a useful tool to prioritize projects. So I hope that's useful for some of you. If you're interested in finding more AI opportunities, not only in your industry, but maybe use cases from other industries that could inspire and upgrade what you're doing within your business, be sure to download our free PDF report called Three Ways to Find AI Trends in Any Sector. If you want to be able to pick up on key use cases and capabilities that could take your business to the next level, this is a set of useful tools, again, three ways, uh, to be able to find AI trends and find really opportunities no matter what your business in. So if you serve clients or you work within a larger enterprise, you can go to emerj.com slash T3, that's T as in trends, and then the number three, emerj.com slash T3, and download our PDF brief called Three Ways to Find AI Trends in Any Sector. That's all for this episode. I look forward to seeing you in the next episode here on the AI and Business Podcast.